just to tell you a little story about our, our guest pastor today. Um, so many of you guys knew back in March, we went to visit uh, some missionaries that came out of this church, the, the Word of Boz in Slovenia, my wife and I. And uh, we were there for a week. And then on the way back, we stopped in the UK to have some just R&R as a husband and wife and visit my wife's family, check out some Bible schools for our oldest son. And um, we happened to be there on a Sunday. And so typically when we go somewhere, if, if we're not doing something on that Sunday, we love to go to church, visit other fellowships. And typically I'm always looking for the nearest Calvary Chapel. So we were staying in Windsor, which is I don't know how many miles. It's outside of London a bit. Um, London's awfully big, but it's where one of the uh, uh, royal castles is that the royal family lives in part-time. So we were in Windsor, and I looked up the nearest Calvary Chapel, and, and it was, I think it said it was something like 12 miles away. It was Calvary Chapel Twi- Twickenham. And uh, I'm like, okay, cool, you know? And, and so uh, I reached out to a pastor, Wayne Taylor, who you guys was here teaching last month. Many of you guys know him from Calvary Fellowship up in Seattle area. And uh, he, he knows everyone over in Europe, like all the missionaries and stuff. And so I asked for the contact information for that pastor. And I texted him just asking the best way to get to that church because we didn't have a vehicle. So we were doing public transportation. And uh, uh, I really didn't expect an answer back because it's 50-50 when you're texting a pastor. You don't know whether they're actually going to get back to you. Um, I try to do it, but not everyone. They're busy. So all that to say is he actually got back to me. And gave me this very confusing way to get to him, like like through buses and trains. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do that on one of our days here because it just was confusing. So I was like, okay, well, I told my wife, I said, let's pray about it. Um, the, the, there's a big cathedral at that castle uh, that the royal family lives in. So they did a Sunday service, too. And I'm like, we'll just sleep on it and see what we're going to do in the morning. And so I got up and really just didn't feel led either way. And my wife's like, what we're going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll probably just go to the, the, the cathedral over across the way. And I got in the shower and got out, and there was a text from this pastor and who I'm about to introduce to you. And, and it said, like, oh, we're really looking forward to meeting you. Maybe we can take you out to lunch afterwards. And then I was just like, oh, man, I can't disappoint this guy now. I'm like, I got to go. So I found, like, an Uber, and it really wasn't that expensive just to go directly there. And so we took an Uber there and got the fellowship with this sweet church uh, in kind of the suburbs of London, and um, Pastor Rob and his family were very hospitable to us, Uh, took us out for lunch, took us some sightseeing in the local area, and then actually gave us a a ride home, and just really had a great time hanging out with him and his wife and his daughter, and um, come to find out, they were Northwest natives as well. They actually came out of Pastor Wayne's church up in Seattle years ago as missionaries over to Europe. And he's been serving faithfully over there uh, for many years at, uh, as a pastor uh, in the suburbs of London. And so uh, he's actually who I'm going to be filling in for next month when I go to London with my family. And so when I found out he was coming back for, uh, to visit his family, him, him and his wife and daughter, I was like, oh, man, it'd be really cool if you could get down here. You know, I know you're kind of on vacation, but it worked out. And so uh, Pastor Rob is going to come and teach the word to you guys. So... Go ahead and give him a warm welcome. Hello, Mom. Come in, Mom. Over. You know, I hardly ever do this during a church service. But 
I'm kind of having a tough day, and I need to shoot up. So I'm gonna shoot up and tell you some funny stories while I'm doing that. I'm a type one diabetic. I was diagnosed one month before my wife gave birth to our firstborn. And the day after our girly was born, I found out my job was over. Uh, being an assistant pastor at a Calvary Chapel in Siegen, Germany. I've been out of the country for 33 years, and I'm only 17. <laughs> it's a miracle of God. They told me that shooting up in public would be like breastfeeding. <laughs> Slight scratch. You shoot up, but you don't see colors. You know, it's like not fair. I know, Chris, I'm eating up precious time. Is that it's okay? I feel free to have a medical emergency. Okay, you can have that. All right. First rule of public speaking, never draw attention to yourself. <laughs> Second rule is never adjust the microphone. Thank you for your patience. And I want to tell you it's a real honor and a pleasure to be here. I really mean it. It's just a tremendous thing. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're here with us. And we thank you that you're faithful to your promise. You said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? And we really want to hear from you this morning. You said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we pray that you would feed us and strengthen and build up and encourage. Help us to learn and help us to teach. Do a perfect work this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be teaching this morning from Psalm 1, if you want to open your Bibles to that. Psalm 1 begins with blessing and it ends with cursing. It's about opposites, contrasts. There's two ways to go in life. There's two ends to life. Two attitudes to God. It's the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And either you're righteous or you're wicked. It's binary. Either you live or you die. Either you are blessed or you are cursed. And your destiny hinges on either receiving or rejecting the word of God. So that's why we're looking at this today. I'm going to read it. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, what does it take to be wicked? How do you qualify? All you have to do to be wicked is to reject the word of God. In Psalm 50, verse 16, it says, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. So you can't do your thing and God's at the same time. It's one or the other. And what the ungodly do is cast the word of God behind them, ignore it, pay it no attention. So the one who rejects the word of God is a sinner. We're talking about standing in the path of sinners there. And a sinner is somebody who misses the target. Have you ever heard that explained that way before? Misses the target? And you think, well, gee, God is penalizing me for being a bad shot. You know, I'm trying, but, you know, dang, missed. But that's not what it's talking about. You see, people shoot for the things they want. And they, they get what they want. Boo, boo, boo. Every time, bullseyes. But the problem is, the target is over here. Not this way. So, what are the chances you're going to hit the real target when you're shooting in the opposite direction? Zero. Now, you're aiming for peace and happiness, and love, and prosperity, and all the good stuff. It's over here. But you miss it entirely. The reason is to aim in this direction, to shoot for the things that you want and get, they're all temporary. That is, you get them, but then you can lose them. Now, People are shooting for temporary things, and they're getting them. But the sad tragedy is you can't keep them. Now, you know, the LGBTQ, they're getting everything they want. They're getting respect, status, legal protection, everything. And they're also cramming it down everybody's throat. If you don't salute the LGBTQ flag, they're gonna jump on you with hobnailed boots. Whoop-de-doo. 
They can't keep it. It's temporary. I wonder if Islam is going to take over the entire earth. They could very well do it, but they can't keep it. So, shoot for happiness, what you think is going to make you happy, and even hit the target. But the futility is you can't keep it. You're doomed to failure. But then, as well as being wicked, throwing the counsel of God behind you, aiming for the wrong target, this third thing is sitting in the seat of scoffers. Some of your translations would have scornful. And it's looking down on others, and making fun of them, and feeling triumphant. And when you're scornful, you make fun of them and put them down. And that all becomes, it comes from arrogance, pride. Pride is thinking you're better than you really are. And you're firmly convinced of it. When you walk in the room, you're the smartest person there. And everybody else is a pinhead. You can treat anybody the way you want when you're arrogant because only you count. They don't count. So it doesn't matter if you bully or oppress or pick on them or make fun of them. Get what you want out of them. Treat them any way you want. doesn't matter because you're the only one that counts. And it's kind of a crazy thing that along with arrogance comes ignorance. If you start looking for this, you see it will go hand in hand. Arrogant people are ignorant because when you're the smartest person in the room, you're not going to learn anything from anybody. You know, you think, dad, duh, give me those. You put them in here like this and you go like that. It's a toaster, duh. Dad is so stupid. And everybody is stupid. You're not going to learn from anybody because what have they got to tell you? Duh. Now, when you start looking for this, you're going to find it everywhere. Arrogant people are ignorant. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 17, this is eternal life to know you, the one true living God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. When you reject Jesus, that is worthy of eternal punishment. That is refusal to know God. And some people think that hell is like way over the top, too much punishment. But that is ignorance about how wretched and wicked it is to reject God, the one who created everything, the one on whom life depends. But a person is so arrogant and so ignorant and says, I don't need that. The fire is not quenched in hell, and the worm 
doesn't die. And there is everlasting shame and contempt. Now that's the end of a person who throws the word of God behind their back and says, I don't need that. And one awful thing about hell is that there is no growth, no development, nothing to look forward to. It really and truly is the end. So what the psalmist is saying here is that is a dead end. And the crazy thing is, it only begins with this one little thing. I don't need the word of God. Now, the righteous person has a completely opposite attitude toward this word. And that is receiving that word inwardly and saturating your life with it. It says here, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You ever delighted in something? The things I delight in are the things that work for me. They solve my problems. They're useful. You know, when you have this little thing and it's like, nothing works. And then you find that thing that solves the problem and you want to do your extreme victory dance. This part of my life is solved. You delight in things that are useful. It does what it claims it will do. Ultimately, those things that you delight in give to you. Have you noticed? Well, here is the ultimate thing to delight in the word of God, because it does what it says it will do. Thank you. You know that God spoke and light came into being. Every time he speaks, it accomplishes something with power. And every time God speaks, it's to give. It's fascinating. I learned this the other day that lies always take from you. That's why it's dangerous to believe a lie because there's an ulterior motive there. Somebody is out to rip you off and with evil intent. It's on purpose. That person is masquerading as a friend and feeding you something that is calculated to deceive you so that you lose in the end. A lie always rips you off, but God always gives through his word. And he gives eternal life and joy and peace and hope and satisfaction you know how hard it is to be satisfied in this world? It's a world of futility. That list in Ecclesiastes 3 where it says there's a time to hate, a time to love, a time to make war, a time to have peace. You add up the columns and it comes out to zero. If you do everything in its exact opposite, it's futile. Nothing ever happens. 
Nothing lasts. Nothing stays. But God, everything he gives is lasting and permanent. You know, in the word of God, you receive warnings. And they're valid. And they show you what to avoid so that you don't lose. His word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. And an inheritance is what somebody says you can have and nobody can take it away from you. Isn't that amazing? This is eternal life, to know the one true living God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now this word is also spiritual, it's alive. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And you know, some churches kind of lose the plot at this point. And they kind of make a false separation between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And some churches are like totally into the Holy Spirit. And we want to be open to the moving of the Spirit, and we just praise the Lord so hard, there's no oxygen left in the room, and well, we don't have time for the Bible study, we'll just do it again whenever, you know. And there's people over here who are so tight on the Word, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to work. And it's an oxymoron when you hear a church is deader than a doornail. Isn't that awful? But you know, you never separate what God has put together, ever. And the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. The most Spirit-filled thing you can possibly do is give attention to what the Holy Spirit wrote. Does everybody hear my voice? So, that's like which part of the scissors is the most important part? So, if you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to give absolute attention to what the Holy Spirit wrote. And if you ignore that word, my goodness, what is your relationship to God? So, because this word here is so important, then you give yourself to it. And you saturate your life with the Word of God. Because it has so much to give. And of course, you start with your head. It has to go in there first. That's where your eyes and your ears are located. And we are to love the Lord our God with our minds. And yet, you may have experienced the feeling of knowing the word of God and still being freaked out and anxious and upset and bummed out and perplexed. And you know the word of God and you say, what the, what's going on? Why isn't it working? I have a friend in Hong Kong, 67 years old, He's had heart issues, a bunch of operations. And he says, pray for me, I'm afraid. And I feel really bad for him. He's a great guy. 
and I'll, I'll, you know, text him things out of the Bible that have really helped me, and I hope they're hitting. I hope they're doing something for him, but you know, your fears are down here in your heart. That's where your anxieties are. That's where the weirdness is. And you have to move what's in your head into your heart. And when you put the word of God right next to all the weirdness and the fears, then the word does its work. But not until then. So if you're thinking this morning, well, I already memorized that one and it doesn't work. Let me show you how you deal with the word of God. And that is you meditate in it. And now, here's where everybody freaks out. Meditate sounds Eastern, doesn't it? <laughs> What's he telling us to do? Pastor, pull out your shotgun, quick. You know, God invented meditation, and it belongs to him. Did you know that? And you don't sit around emptying your mind. He gave you a mind to use. So what you want to do is fill your mind with his thoughts, his words, his perspective, his values, and you meditate on it. Now, meditating is mental digestion. We're all digesting right now, every single one of us. How many people had breakfast this morning? Isn't that fabulous? So you chew it, and because you have taste buds, you swill it around your mouth for seven seconds on an average. Dogs don't have taste buds. So when they go, that's food, that's it, it's gone. They don't get the fun of swilling it around, you know. Fabulous gunk. And then it goes into your stomach where it adds enzymes and acids and it doesn't taste good anymore. And then it goes into your intestines. And all this time, your body is pulling the food apart into its constituent elements, fats, amino acids, vitamins, glucose. Did you know your body is a metabolic machine that runs on sugar? That's crazy. But that's what your body runs on, sugar. And then your body absorbs it. That's what it's doing when it's going through the intestines. It's absorbing it. All the good stuff goes right into you, and then it becomes part of you. Did you know that? Now, there's one last step that has to happen in your digestion, and that is some cells on the surface of your pancreas secrete a hormone that tells all the cells in your body to open up and take in blood sugar. And if your cells don't get that chemical message, they will not take it in. 
and your whole bloodstream is chock full of blood sugar to a dangerous point. If your body gets too much, then it puts your capillaries at risk, which are in your eyes, your kidneys, and your extremities. And if that blood sugar is not controlled, you go blind, you get gangrene, and you lose your kidneys. You can die if this last step doesn't happen. Your kidneys get the call, way too much blood sugar, you've got to flush this, so you drink a lot of fluids and you urinate all of your breakfast out because it didn't go into the deepest part of you, the single human cell. Get that? And so you can eat like a horse and it goes all the way through you and nothing happened. Have you ever gone away from reading the Bible and just felt like, what did I just read? What was that? I don't remember a lick. There's a step you're missing. And that is you have to receive it inwardly into the deepest part of you. And that is what meditation does. And you know, there's no substitute for that hormone that your body produces. Now you can have a condition where your body doesn't make that hormone anymore. You lose the cells that produce it. And when that happens, you have to inject that hormone manually. And that condition is called type 1 diabetes. That's what I am. That's what I just did right there. I was shooting insulin in me because I got too much blood sugar in me. And I would like to live a little longer. So that's why I risk even breastfeeding in public. I mean, shooting up in public. <laughs> Just to live until I finish this message, right? Otherwise, it's like, well, he's dead. I don't know what he was going to do there. And now we have to finish. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to finish this. Pray. Maybe we'll figure out how it ends. But you know, there isn't a substitute for this. There's no substitute for your entire process of digestion. You can't go around it and you can't ignore it like, gee, this is too much trouble. You have to do this. So you know what? There's no substitute for meditating in the Bible because this is the only way to get the word from your brain to your heart. And when you receive it, it does its work. All right? The purpose of meditating is to understand what God has written. And understanding is mental grasp. See, if you can't grab it, you can't do anything with it. But if you can grab it, it's yours. You can do something with it. And that's what God wants us to have, is to understand and receive it, and it becomes part of who we are. Not just a book on the outside with a gospel gun to my head saying, if you don't do this, you're dead but 
It's written on the heart with the finger of God, indelible, and it's who you are. Now, what God wants to do is change you and transform you legitimately, make you completely different. But to do that, you've got to understand, and he made you to understand. It says in Psalm 49, man in his pomp, which means arrogance, without understanding is like the beasts that perish. God did not create us to be beasts and animals. He created us to know him and to be like him. So think about meditating like overthinking. You know how you buy something on Amazon and you read all the reviews? You try to figure out which one of them has too many fake reviews and you try to sift through this, is this person intelligent or is he a dip? Why should I believe a dip? And you have to kind of even overthink it, right? Now, overthinking is not good for you because it paralyzes you. It makes complicated things more complicated. But can you imagine overthinking Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is it possible to overthink that? I say, let the hammer fall. I was playing my guitar in a pub in, in, in uh, close to where I live. It was an open mic night. And I said, uh, for my next selection, I'd like to quote a 3,000-year-old Hebrew poem that I wake up with every morning. And I recited Psalm 23 over the mic. And it was like pin drop silent. And the faces... The power of the word of God is just amazing. And I, I really do wake up with that every morning because by nature I am a cup half empty guy. I'm positive we're gonna die. So to counteract that, I make myself think about truth. Did you know that encouragement doesn't help unless it's true? Just to say, there, there, dear, it'll be okay. Hey, how'd you like to go to the moon right now? I'll send you there. Pow! Seven miles a second. Tell me how you like it. 
it's got to be true or it's not encouraging. So when you meditate, when you overthink the word of God and you write it on your heart, it's going to do something to you. And in fact, the blessings here in Psalm 1 go off the scale. Can I explain them to you? Give me five minutes. Okay. The first thing it does is that it makes you like a tree. And you go, so what? I don't want to be a tree. You ever woke up and you said, ah, boy, I wish I were a tree. But it says in Isaiah chapter 40 that all flesh is grass. Here today, gone tomorrow, withers. See, trees are different. So trees are better than grass. They're more durable. They last longer. I remember the first time it hit me, I was walking in a, in a forest in Germany where the grass was just fresh, beginning of summer. It was green and the trees were green and sky was blue. And I was going, wow, this is amazing. But you know, later on in the summer, the grass is going to wilt and go brown like it is the rest of the year. But the trees are still going to be doing great. You see, gr grass is just temporary. The trees, as far as the earth is concerned, are much more permanent. And what God wants to do is change you from grass to being a tree. And what he wants to do is so profound. You know, what they do today to change a woman into a man is they surgically remove her mammary glands and give her hormones and then cut her hair short and say, okay, you're a man. Now, that's hopelessly superficial because she's got a trillion cells in her body and every one of them says you're a woman. And there's no way to overcome that biological determination unless you rewrite the DNA in those trillion cells, right? Now, no human being can touch that, but God can. Your spiritual DNA says grass right now. But as you meditate, he says, well, let's rewrite this a little bit. Guess what? You're a tree. And it's not, oh, day by day in every way, I am getting better and better. No, you're not. But as the word transforms your life, you really do become a tree. Now, with roots... Did you notice it says here, planted? Planted. Now, you look in the forests out here, it looks pretty dang random, doesn't it? It just sort of happened. But you can go to Hampton Court Palace down the street from where I live, and you see these fabulous trees laid out in rows. And you know that didn't happen by accident. Somebody planted them that way 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 
I don't know, but they're big, honking trees, regular. And it looks really royal. And it says in Isaiah that we're the planting of the Lord. Trees of righteousness. It's not an accident. You are his handiwork. When did he start planning on you? Before he made anything. His eternal plan in Christ before he created anything, he was thinking of you. And he says, you know what? She goes here. And this person is going to do this and this and this and touch that person and take care of that and do this over here and it's going to be great. An eternal plan. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? You've got roots like a tree. And it says in Psalm 119, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Stability, foundation. And you know where the roots are? In heaven, not on the earth. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That's an everlasting foundation. Well, look at this. It says, planted by streams of water. And notice the plural, streams. One river would be plenty, but you've got multiple. And what that refers to is a super abundance. All that you could possibly need, you're planted right by. You've got everything you need. And Jesus said, the one who believes in me, out of his innermost being is going to gush rivers of living water. You see, you're taking into yourself what is alive and spiritual. And a tree is actually a living water pump that can transpire up to 300 gallons of water a day. A living water pump. But it's not like a fire hose that knocks you down. It's just this, wow, it's pleasant, it's cool. It's gonna be pleasant and cool to be around you as you have this fabulous aroma of Christ. And you know what the Holy Spirit really wants to communicate to us is the love of God. Hope does not disappoint, says the Apostle Paul, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Love is not a thing. Love is a person. And the Holy Spirit will communicate to you God's love. And I tell you, that's what you want to experience. Paul says that you may know the, the length, the width, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes understanding that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now that you can lawfully experience. It's for you. And you can know that God loves you, loves you, loves you. Think about what that will do to all your fears and anxieties. 
wipes them out. But then there's more. It says your leaf won't wither. That means there's never a time when you can't be drawing energy directly from heaven. It says bears fruit in its season. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is for everybody. That's what trees do. They just give it away, and there's always more where that came from. See? Never going to run out. And then it says, everything that he does shall prosper. Can you imagine? Everything? The reason why it says that is because you're meditating on the will of God, what God wants. And God is going to fulfill his will. And first, he writes it on your heart, so it's part of you. You're going to do what he wants, and God is going to fulfill that. In other words, there is a component of our lives that God belongs in, and he works through us to accomplish his will. And as I meditate, I'm saying, okay, God, anything you want, you can have it. You want to make me a missionary? You want to send me to England? You want to dig up the soil, plant me there, bury me? Anything you want, you can have it because it's going to be fruitful. It's going to bear fruit. That's what seeds do. They fall into the ground and die. But then they bear much fruit. That's the whole point. And if you have this written on your heart, you're going to do it. So look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind blows away. Now, you know, when you, when you harvest grain, there's an outer husk called chaff, and you have to separate that because it's not nutritive. There's no value in it. It's dead. And so you... Yeah, hook up a studded thing to your cow and you get it to roll over the, the, the grain and what it does is break up the husks and then you get your pitchfork and you throw it up in the air and your threshing floor is on the top of the hill where there's a wind and so the grain goes up and it's got weight so it goes back down but the chaff gets thrown up and it's lighter than air. So the wind comes through and blows all your chaff away. And the chaff does not have a lot to say about it because it's dead. And that's who the wicked are. Dead, non-nutritive, of no value whatsoever. Can you imagine Steve Jobs puts together the most profitable company in the history of the world? It's nothing but chaff, futile. There won't be one brick left on top of another. Waste o' oh, time. So that's what's going to happen to the wicked. All these guys that are big and tough and got lots of rockets and nuclear weapons, God's going to go, and that's it. Chaff. So you got to see the end of things in life. Look at that. Wicked won't stand in the judgment. And the judgment is going to happen, you know. Everybody is going to stand before Jesus and get down on their knees. Even, even Hamas is going to kneel in front of Jesus and say, you are God. And we're going to live to see it. 
and everything else raised up against the knowledge of God is going to confess the truth that Jesus is God. But then it says, sinners won't stand in the assembly of the righteous. That is, those are the guys that don't give. And you can tell them really easily. They're the ones that borrow money and don't pay back. They're the ones that hit on the girls to try to get some kind of an advantage. But you can always tell somebody who believes in Jesus because they know how to give. And other people just take and take and take. And you know, you can kill people fast with a bullet, but you can kill them slow by just taking. And it takes a little longer, like 20 or 30 years. But just keep taking, and you kill them just the same. So if you understand what the future is about, you want to do something about it right now. See, God is in the way of the righteous. He's involved in it. The Lord directs the steps of the righteous. How then can a man understand his way? But God's at work. Your life is bigger than you are. He's involved in it. So, what do you do? You say, okay, I want to be that person. I want to be that person that the Lord transforms so that I do his will, and then he says to me at the end of it all, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the person I want to be. And then you start a new habit. And this is the scariest part, because you've done New Year's resolutions and kind of pooped out, right? So you think, okay, here's another habit that I'm going to poop out on. You get all nervous. Here's what you do. There's three things. You want to read, you want to study, and you want to meditate. There's nine things you can do with the Word of God, but here's the three I'm going to tell you. Read, study, meditate. With read, you just read to get familiar with the Bible, not to understand it. So if you don't get Leviticus, Burn on through. If you don't like those genealogies in First Chronicles, burn on through. My own personal not favorite is the description of the millennial temple in Ezekiel. That's better than the collected humor of Reader's Digest. It puts me clean out. Burn through it. And you just read the Bible over and over and over again for the rest of your life, Okay? Just do it. Here's the second, study. And that just means going from lesser knowledge to greater knowledge by looking at it. You get Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. That is the holy grail of Bible study. He taught it for 40 years at Dallas Theological Seminary before he wrote it. That book is worth more than what you have to pay for it. If you don't like that, get my book. I wrote a little tiny book. And it's a good book too. But here's the third thing you want to do is meditate. And this is what scares everybody. Don't think you have to go for a long time. 
I want you to just try it for five minutes a day. You pick some part of the Bible. Meditate from the first verse to the end of it. And just take a, a, a verse and just think about it. What helps me is to write it down in a notebook for nobody but me. I find that I observe things better when I write. And I just write it down. Helps keep me focused. Just do it for five minutes. And don't let anything come between you and that. Because this is what's going to happen. This is the discouraging part. As soon as you start meditating in the Bible, the devil is going to go for your jugular vein. If you didn't know him before, you're going to get to know him now. He is your best friend that sticks closer than a brother. Don't do this. And you just tell God this prayer. This prayer works. God, please help me meditate or kill me now. Either way, you win. If he kills you, you don't even have to stick around and clean up. That's somebody else's job. You're done. But if he helps you meditate, do you know what's going to happen? He's going to transform you. And the, the thing about it is you've got to keep doing it. So that's why I go five minutes. Now, if you can go longer than five minutes, do that too. But once you get this going, you're going to experience what was written here in Psalm 1. You will. Now, you know when you plant an oak tree seed? That doesn't look very impressive. And you don't dig it up every five minutes to see how you're doing, right? Just leave it there. But you know, in 20 years, that thing will be mature. It will take up your entire property. Nothing else will grow. It will knock over the fence, and it will break up the sidewalk. It owns, see? And that's what the Word of God will do in you. It will take over. And you will begin to experience these things. Now, everybody does this a little tiny bit, just like we all pray a little tiny bit. But what we want to do is this particular thing, just do it five minutes. And if you can do it for five, try six. And keep working until you take this time and say, God, help me to meditate or kill me. And then you're going to experience some absolutely insane blessing. Does everybody believe me? I wrote a book on this, and I wanted to bring some with me. But I don't have any with me. So go to Amazon. If you get the Rob Dingman, who's into motorcycles, it's the wrong one. Look for the guy without the hair. You can trust the guy without the hair. I don't even stop meditating when I'm on vacation. I can't afford to. I need God. I want God. 
The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. How is it that he can be a servant of God and know that he doesn't understand God and he needs more? Don't you feel like that? I do too. And this is why you say, okay, God, help me to meditate or kill me. Come on. He'll do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you that you have the power to write your word on our hearts and to change us into that image of Christ. Thank you that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And we pray that you would do that that we might know you and that you might be exalted and glorified in our lives. Do that with us and help us, Lord, when we get discouraged and think, I can't do this, I can't do this. Lord, we can do all things through you who strengthen us. Help us to know you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rob, so much. Um, Before we rush out of here, I want to just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of minister to that word to us and respond to it. Um, I liked one of the things Rob said was that the purpose of meditating on the word of God was so that you understand it or you understand God's purpose for it in your life. And I think that that's a significant thing to really just kind of take note of because, you know, like he said so often, I can just kind of read through the Word of God and, and kind of breeze through it and go like, oh, I don't even know if I really got anything out of that. But I, I did my Devo today so I can check that box. But when I take the time, and even when I'm studying for the Word of God to kind of teach it, it's so often like I meditating on it for me is like I'm thinking about it as I'm driving somewhere. I'm thinking about it as I'm in the shower. I'm thinking about it. And that's often when the Holy Spirit speaks to me personally, like, here's the purpose of what you're reading for you. Here's how I've applied it in your life, or here's how I want you to apply it in your life. And that's where it becomes from something that's just on paper in my head to going in my heart. Oh, I understand what you want me to learn from this, what you want me to apply in my life so that I can be blessed. And what that's produced over time, the more and more I'm in the Word of God, I'm studying it, I'm meditating on it, is it makes me like a tree in the sense of, when I think of a tree versus like chaff, it's stable, it's strong. And Jesus talks about something very similar in Matthew 6, starting in verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
You can look out in the world out there and it's full of instability. And to some degree, that's how our lives were before Jesus came into them. And even now, you know, things can be going good one second and then we have some sort of storm we're facing and all of a sudden we're all over the place. We're anxious, we're worried, we're fearful. And what God's trying to teach us is to be like a tree or have our house built on the rock, on, on his word, on its, when we understand the purpose, we understand what he's trying to promise us. He's trying to show us in it. And like it really sinks into our heart, we become stable so that even when the storms come, we're not tossed around by those storms. We're just, we're stable in Christ. We're stable in Jesus. These promises that we're even learning in Romans, these benefits of our salvation, they produce stability in the chaos that's going on around us in this world. And I, I would guess to say we all want that, right? 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 Or do you like being kind of just thrown all around and worried and anxious and fearful? That, that's a benefit that we want to experience in Jesus and it comes through not only knowing his word in our head, but understanding it. And Rob gave us kind of those tools that the Bible tells us so that we can understand it. We can understand his purpose. So it's so important for us. So we're going to do one last song. We're running late today, but it's not my fault. It's his, so that's okay. He gets special privileges because he's our guest pastor. And so, um, but... I just want to take this moment. We're going to turn the lights off. We'll play one last song just to get, kind of give you guys, you know, maybe you came in here and you're feeling that instability. And this was just a reminder from the Lord that, man, I've, I've told you these things in my word, why you don't have to be unstable, why you don't have to be fearful, why you don't have to be discouraged. And the Holy Spirit's just kind of reminding you, don't just say you know it in my head, but believe on these things. Meditate on those promises that contradict those lies that your flesh is telling yourself, that the enemy's trying to tell you that are causing that fear, that worry. And, and really praise the Lord for those. In this last song we're gonna sing and acknowledge those truths and, and allow the Lord to minister to those of you in such a way that, again, you, you believe them, you understand them. And you can leave here in the stability that they produce when, we really, when they go from here to here in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. We'll have our prayer team around the room if you guys want prayer. And uh, just really allow the Lord to minister to you in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. It, it gives us every reason to be stable because as we were singing in the beginning, Lord, you've always been faithful. You've, you keep it. Your word says even when we're faithless, you're still faithful because you can't deny who you are. You're, you're you give us these truths that contradict all the, the what-ifs, all the worries, all the fears, all the lies that our flesh or the enemy would try to tell us. And Lord, forgive me that I'm so slow to learn to believe these things. But I just think of this psalm, how it's when we dwell on these things, when we meditate on them, when we constantly are thinking about them, reminding ourselves, looking to you to teach us what these things mean for us personally, that we'll be like that tree. We'll be stable. We'll be fruitful instead of being like the chaff that's just blown all over the place, Lord. We'll be like that house built on a rock instead of the one built on the sand. And we want to experience that in our lives, Lord. 
So be with us in this moment. Minister that to each of us, however we need to hear it, Lord. Remind us of whatever truths we're doubting. You've given us no reason to doubt anything you've said. We want to live here or leave here just believing you at your word, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, Lord, so we can live in that stability you intend for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.